Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sons of Liberty podcast. Starting a new book today, book slash collection of writings, The American Crises, collection of writings and pamphlets from Thomas Paine. We will get right into it. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It's very striking there. Speaking of how hard it is to get out from under tyranny once you get into it, it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. It just keeps going and going and going. It doesn't just stop. <laughs> tyrants aren't just one day like, oh, you know what? I really like these people. Let me just stop. People have to fight for it, have to fight for their rights and freedoms. As he's saying, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. It's with anything in life. The harder the, the struggle, the more rewarding the outcome is going to be when you finally get through it. And he finishes it by saying things that we get very easily, we hold them in too high of regard. It's like, get that $600 check from the government, everybody. Oh, man, they really care about us. It's okay. They sent a billion dollars to the Smithsonian, which rated gets tax dollars and isn't even open. And then they sent, I think it was $47 million to Pakistani gender programs. We speak of tyranny, huh? Same government that closes your businesses. Says your job's illegal. You can't leave the home. All they got for you, you, is $600. But they've got billions upon billions for everyone else. $900 billion, And most of that isn't even going to go to anybody in the United States. Oh, and illegal, illegal immigrants are going to get $1,800 checks. But. Yeah, hold that check up high. Let's spend it all in one place. I do not, I cannot see on what grounds the King of Britain can look up to heaven against us. A common murderer, a highwayman, or a housebreaker has as good pretense as he. Essentially saying the tear. I had a moment. He's essentially saying their tyrant, which was the King of England, Britain, England, same thing, is trying to say that God will help him, but he's he's the tyrant, so the tyrant cannot invoke the will of God for help because the tyrant is the one that's going against the will of God, which is the will of free men. And then he takes a nice little jab at him by saying a common murderer, a highwayman, highwayman was like a rapper back then, or a housebreaker, it's like somebody that's breaking into homes, has as good a pretense as he. And that's that's a that's a nice little veiled shot at the king, and I love it. But it's very true. You see a lot of people 
these days doing similar things saying god will help us god will help us but they shut down your church they shut down your factory they told you you couldn't leave your home they killed your grandma in the nursing home yeah i could see where a murderer or a robber or a thief has the same pretense as somebody like that i think that's very applicable to now Yet panics, in some cases, have their uses. They produce as much good as hurt. Their duration is always short. The mind soon grows through them and acquires a firmer habit than before. So in this passage, He's speaking of his just some backstory. He's speaking of other historical panics, like England worrying about the French invading in a couple of different uh, occasions. Um, the British being afraid of France when they lost some battles, being afraid of Joan of Arc. They all, you know, everyone goes crazy. So he kind of circles back to say, panics can have some good, and they can produce the same amount of good as bad. You know, if you look at like Pearl Harbor, everyone's panicked after it, but we made sure it didn't happen again in World War II. So it kind of did some good. It upped their readiness level. You know, things like that can happen to us in the modern day, like the coronavirus stuff. Like people wanted to panic at first, but there, you know, there were countries that did well because like Taiwan, Taiwan has done so well with it because they had built dedicated isolation wards because of all the viruses that they had encountered in the last 20, 30 years. So when something like this came around, they were able to deal with it. So panic can do some good if you convert it. If you just keep panicking, it doesn't do any good. But if you take that initial panic and convert it into something constructive, then it can have some good. And like he says, a firmer habit than before, you get a harder stance on the same thing the next time it comes around and you're able to deal with it better. So there's some kind of background there. As I was with the troops at Fort Lee and marched with them to the edge of Pennsylvania, I am well acquainted with many circumstances which those who live at a distance know but little or nothing of. Essentially speaking of a battle, just kind of some backstory here, a battle for Fort Lee ended up being a colossal defeat. But what he's saying here is 
he knows the actual facts of something where somebody who may live in, you know, the other side of the United States, you know, let's say Maine at the time or something like that, somewhere outside of the little area that would, this would have happened in, which is New York and New Jersey area. He knows many circumstances surrounding that battle and being more detail oriented about that. So you see that a lot today. By the time something gets to the third level of things and someone finally reports it, who really knows what happened? This guy heard it from that guy, who heard it from that guy, who heard it from that guy. And each time the story gets told, the facts change. So today we see it with our media. Honestly, with the media, it's just intentionally changing shit. But anyways, this is still applicable. Because somebody that was actually at an occurrence is going to have better facts than someone who wasn't there and who lives at a distance. Why is it that the enemy have left the New England provinces and made these middle ones the seat of war? The answer is easy. New England is not infested with Tories, and we are. I have been tender in raising the cry against these men and used numberless, used numberless arguments to show them their danger. But it will not do to sacrifice a world either to their folly or their baseness. The period is now arrived in which either they or we must change our sentiments or one or both must fall. And what is a Tory? Good God, what is he? I should not be afraid to go with a hundred Whigs against a thousand Tories were they to attempt to get into arms. Every Tory is a coward. For servile, slavish, self-interested fear is the foundation of Toryism. He's talking about uh, loyalists, basically. American Revolution, he had a people that were so loyalists to the crown and the king and all that good stuff. But they were no friend of the revolution. Uh, they hated the revolution. They wanted what was best for England. And he didn't like them. Say a lot about most politicians, and I don't differentiate party here. Say that about most politicians these days on both sides of the aisle, I think. I think most of them would be self-described as Tories who are more worried about their own well-being than those of their countrymen. That was part of the reason Tories weren't very well liked, because they were only worried about their own fortune and well-being as opposed to that other countrymen, especially the loyalists. They would turn their best friend in over the smallest things, or they would just turn them in if they thought that they had any aversion to the king. They were real pieces of trash. They were garbage, crap, you know, just useless human beings in the eyes of the, I mean, eyes. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. So Obviously, to a patriot, they wouldn't like to Tory. So there's some backstory there. But when he finishes it off, calls them cowards, servile, slavish, 
self-interested fear. Boy, could I think of uh, I could think of a lot of people that are like that now, huh? The people that freak out. Oh, it's gone. Oh, oh no. Oh, mask. Oh, the oh the ma oh the mask. Oh, black. Like it's the end of the world if they don't have this piece of paper or cloth on their face. It's gonna oh miraculously save my life. Oh no. It's uh. They would have fit right in with the Tories, ladies and gentlemen. They they really would have. It's uh, it's sad, you know. People who choose to live in fear, and that fear is self-centered. They're not going to be productive members of society. They're just they're not. They can't be. It it's it. It doesn't go with the rugged individualism that's needed to survive in a postmodern society. I mean, even especially back in this era. They really needed to be rugged individualists because a lot of people lived, uh, they lived it rough. They had to go hunt for all their food. They didn't go to the grocery store. Not a place upon earth might be so happy as America. Her situation is remote from all the wrangling world, and she has nothing to do but to trade with them. A man can distinguish himself between temper and principle, and I am as confident as I am that God governs the world, that America will never be happy till she gets clear of foreign dominion. Wars without ceasing will break out till that period arrives, and the continent must, in the end, be conqueror, for though the flame of liberty may sometimes cease to shine, the coal can never expire. So unpacking that, nowhere, he's essentially starting it off, a pretty prolific statement. Nowhere on earth will ever be as happy as America. We're isolated from the rest of the world. Europe was the rest of the world at this point that most people knew about, obviously. And he's essentially talking about detaching from your emotions, distinguishing yourself between temper and principle. Principle is, hey, here's what needs to get done. Here's the goal. And temper is, screw you. I'm getting everything I need to get done. I don't care who you are. Uh, it's this guy's fault. It's the other guy's fault. You know, blame blame everybody but me. But you're not going to be successful in life if you're like that. You're just going to keep blaming everyone else. You're never going to be able to sort out your own problems. And he's saying as well, America will never be happy until she gets clear of foreign dominion. I mean, the last four years of my life have been very, very happy years. I've made... The most money I ever have in my life. I've gotten the most advancement I've ever gotten in my life. I've got a path to actually be able to own my own home at some point. Because we've gotten clear of foreign dominion for the past four years, 
and we put our people first and America first. It certainly worked pretty well, didn't it? Well, that's pr- going to be gone pretty quick in uh, in a couple of weeks here, and it's going to be pretty bad again. And he also says wars without ceasing will break out till that period arrives. We're going to be looking at wars without ceasing. We've been in Afghanistan and Iraq for the last 20 freaking years. It's, it's shameful. No country will ever have a stable entity of itself if they've been in an endless, ceaseless war for that long a period of time. It's just not realistic. Then he finishes it off. The flame of liberty may sometimes cease to shine, but the coal can never expire. Boy, our coal looks like it's expiring, doesn't it? That lighter fluid wore off. It's... I. People call me an alarmist, but I say that the Republic is dead. I really do. I think that uh, everyone thinks our country is a democracy, which it isn't. It's a constitutional republic, and it's very dead. The courts don't work for the people. The legislature doesn't work for the people. And pretty soon, the president won't work for the people. So it's uh, sad. I mean, even governors don't work for the people anymore. (laughs) They definitely don't. The heart that feels not now is dead. The blood of his children will curse his cowardice, who shrinks back at a time when a little might have saved the whole and made them happy. I love the man that can smile in trouble, that can gather strength from distress and grow brave by reflection. He's talking about stepping up to the plate here. And stepping up when you're needed, not when it's convenient to you. When the time comes, good men, strong men of good character have to step up and take ownership of things. And when that happens, we can move forward and we can get things done. But when good men, those same good men hide away when they're needed, nothing gets done and we don't get what we need done. At this time, they needed a full measure to put America across the finish line to be America, stop being Great Britain. And if guys didn't step up, they would have been screwed. And then I love what he says here. He loves a man that can smile in trouble and gather strength from distress and go brave by reflection. It's that old uh, Jocko Willink expression, right? Good. Hey, boss, computers just went down. Good, we can work on writing a little bit more. Hey, boss, truck just caught a flat tire. Good, we can work on changing the tire. Set example, something goes wrong that's good. We can learn from that, get better. We don't panic. Too many people panic the second something goes wrong. You have to be able to get things done. You have to be able to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations because you'll be a better person. And we need more of that in America right now. We don't need cowards. There are persons, too, who see not the full extent of evil, which threatens them. They solace themselves with hopes that the enemy, if he succeed, will be merciful. It is the madness of folly to expect mercy from those who have refused to do justice. And even mercy where conquest is the object 
is only a trick of war. And this is very applicable today, I think. We're going to be expecting mercy from people who have called for our heads to be literally taken off our shoulders for the past four years. And then all of a sudden they call for peace and harmony and reconciliation. It's not going to happen. You're stupid if you expect mercy from those people. They've got no justice in their mind other than to behead anybody who disagrees with them. And this is the way it was for the British back then, too. You know, reconciling with the British wasn't an option. They would have come in with an even harder hand. Taxes would have gone up even more. It would have been more soldiers stationed, troops, whatever they were called, in the colonies. Taxes would have gone up even more. Representation would have gone down even more. It was just a trick for them to try and get an upper hand in the war. And it's the same thing now. You have to be careful. You really do. Were the back counties to give up their arms, they would fall easy prey to the Indians, who are all armed. This perhaps is what some Tories would not be sorry for. Were the home counties to deliver up their arms, they would be exposed to the resentment of the back counties, who would then have it in their power to chastise their deflection at pleasure. Defection. Essentially saying, if you're in an if you're in an area where you're threatened by people with guns, don't give up your own guns. It's a bad idea. It's a very very bad idea. It's kind of as simple as that. You know, see that a lot now. They want to take your guns. There's a reason they want to take your guns. Don't let them take your guns. Just keep it simple on that. By perseverance and fortitude, we have the prospect of a glorious issue. By cowardice and submission, the sad choice of a variety of evils, of ravaged country, a depopulated city, habitations without safety, and slavery without hope. It's pretty stark. This is the end of how he ends his first chapter or the first passage in here is ended, I should say. It should, uh, should wake a lot of people up and motivate them. He's saying, if you submit to cowardice, or you practice cowardice in submission, yeah, I should clarify that a little, you're just gonna, you're just gonna be destroyed. Strength is the only way you're going to get things done. You don't get things done through weakness. You don't get things done by, oh, man, you know, we shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry about that. It's not, that's, that doesn't help anybody. It just opens you up to getting destroyed, and it's not good. It's a pretty, pretty stark way to end that.
the second part is uh we're not going to go into it, but i'm going to give you some kind of backstory for how it's what it is it's a letter to lord howe or a passage to lord howe so it should be pretty spicy i like that word spicy anyways i hope everyone had a fantastic christmas and i hope you enjoy your new year and i hope your family and you have a healthy and happy beginning of the new year we will see you again next monday goodbye everybody